0: Welcome to Difference Makers, where we bring you profound and enlightening conversations with remarkable people who make a difference through innovative and inspiring charity work. On this podcast, you'll hear the incredible stories of real-life Difference Makers, learn about the worthy causes and charities they support, and discover how charity work changes lives for the better.
1: There's such beauty in in finding something that wakes you up in the morning, and I I wish that and hope that everybody finds that and has that and pursues it because a life serving others is a life well lived.
0: I'm Aldis Harris, and in this episode, I had the pleasure of speaking with Megan Gunderman Seahorn, who's offering vulnerable children the opportunity to succeed through quality education. Welcome, Megan. Welcome to Difference Makers. Thank you so much for joining us this evening.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: It's my pleasure. I've heard so many great things about your organization, and I'm excited for our community to learn more about it. So can we just start? You can give us an overview of the Foundation for Tomorrow.
1: Yep. So TFFT, which is what we typically refer to the Foundation for Tomorrow as, um, is a NGO, a non-governmental organization based in Northern Tanzania. So we are, we're a 501c3 here in the U.S., but the bulk of our team and where all of our work resides is in Tanzania. And like you said, we um, address vulnerability in orphan and vulnerable children through the power of education. So we, like many people, believe it is a incredible tool that individuals can use to improve their livelihood.
0: And Tanzania, I'm curious, what drew your organization or to you specifically to that that part of the world?
1: Yes, so I get that question yeah. a lot. I'm from North Carolina. I was um, raised here and actually currently reside in North Carolina, but I went to the same private school here for K through 12 and was ready to see something very different when I went to college. So I ended up going abroad and studying in the UK for four years in um, Scotland at University of St. Andrews. And when I was in St. Andrews, I did a degree in international relations and human geography. And this is kind of like the long-winded way of explaining how I ended up in Tanzania. But my degree focused on the Middle East and sub-Saharan Africa. And with degrees at St. Andrews, you have to do field work, and even for your undergrad, you have to do a dissertation, and so my field work for my dissertation was in Kenya and Tanzania, and so from wanting to leave the nest of Charlotte, North Carolina, um, to Scotland, then to East Africa, and all kind of in my Web that creates my 38 years of life now. They all are very much intertwined um, and brought me to where we are today and where TFFT is today. So, yeah, I ended up there as a 20-nothing-year-old, very green young woman and um, fell in love with the culture and the people. And I was not intending to, you know, have an experience that shaped my life. I was really just like any other 21-year-old trying to finish college and have experiences and exposure to different things. And it just so happened that that summer and that exposure to a different culture and people um, changed the course of my life. And here I am, you know, 17 years later, (laughs) still working in that part of the world.
0: The organization was inspired? I would am I right in saying that by the things you saw, the people you met, the experiences you had during that that time there?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess that's how how things work, I guess. my um, like I said, I went to I was pretty sheltered i w- in the sense that i I went to great educational institutions growing up for uh, you know elementary through college. And so I was given every educational opportunity. And then, you know, prided myself on doing all my homework and being fairly book smart. And so, you know, thought I prepared myself to go do this research in Kenya and Tanzania, um, only to find out I was incredibly naive and didn't really understand what went on in the majority of the rest of the world. And so my experience in Tanzania seeing people create something out of nothing was was eye-opening and kind of shook me not kind of it it shook me to the point where i just had to know more and understand and kind of dig in
0: deeper so the foundation for tomorrow was inspired by your experience but conceptually how did you create it and how did you come up with i guess the um the structure by which you're doing this great work in Tanzania today?
1: Yeah. um, I guess the the short of it was I surrounded myself with people who knew more than I Mm -hmm. did, lots of them, and just started asking questions. So I really did not have a clue what I was doing. So I guess go back a little bit. My first summer when I was doing research, I... While I was doing research, I also volunteered at an orphanage that was attached to a hospital. Mm. So at this first orphanage that I was, like, learning and seeing things that I never had planned on seeing, it was a lot of children, they were all under the age of five. Many of their, I'd say the majority of their mothers had died during childbirth at the hospital attached. And so, you know, it was... 30 some odd children, where five year olds were looking after three year olds, and kids were, you know, had very little stimulation. They were, you know, looking at the wall, rocking back and forth for self stimulation. Mm-hmm. They were taking after, you know, looking after themselves. There was only two matrons that were, you know, in charge at any given shift, and then, you know, some well intentioned volunteers that didn't know much and yeah I was one of those (laughs) well-intended volunteers that didn't know much but yeah a personal connection with these three Maasai triplets that first summer Helena, Yusufu, and Matayu fell in love with those three kids and I left thinking oh geez you know what can I do to help them make their life better and I had no plan, but I stayed in touch with the women running the orphanage and with the doctors who oversaw it and came back the following summer to show some friends and bring some friends. Mm -hmm. And it was at that point where we kind of formalized something where we would provide scholarships for some of these children. And it was not at all intended to be what it is today, it was truly friends and family that just wanted to put some kids in school as an opportunity for them to, you know, have an improved life.
0: Can you tell? Can you tell us again the name, the names of those three children?
1: Yes, Helena, Yusufu, and Matayu. They are um, actually nineteen years mm-hmm. old. Their birthdays in November, and I still have a very close bond with all three of them. They ended up being our first three scholarship recipients and went through our
0: entire program. It sounds like this was a really inspiring experience for you and the catalyst for the creation of the Foundation for Tomorrow. And I love how you have brought in and you, it sounds like you're you're quite the recruiter and ringleader because you got family and friends involved to support your work.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess, I, you know, This was when TFFT kind of kicked off or informally kicked off before we were a, like a registered nonprofit in the U.S. or a registered NGO in Tanzania. This was before the era of like social media, before blogs even. It was, you went on, you know, travels and you sent like mass emails, you know, via hotmail to (laughs) your friends and family. (laughs) Oh, how things have changed. But um, through that you know it was yeah it's one of those things where I was like people have have to hear and understand what what I've seen and I still to to an extent that's my role now you know we are so TFFT is we're two separate legal entities we're the 501 C3 in the US and we are a nationally registered NGO in Tanzania but we have two separate boards. We operate as one organization, though, and my role in the U.S. is really the bullhorn. Like, I find and am tasked to find strategic partnerships that strengthen our work in Tanzania, and our Tanzanian team, they're all African, they're all multiple degree holders, many going after their PhD, super academic crew that designs and implements all of our programming for us. So I no longer... Really play a role in designing programming. Mm-hmm. I'm just focused on kind of long-term strategic planning and finding funding for the work we're doing.
0: Funding. Let's talk about that. <laughs> I So in my day-to-day job, I am I work at a nonprofit and I do fundraising, which... Um, it can be fun, it can be rewarding, but it's sure, if nothing else, is challenging. So I'm curious to know what you're doing. I did see one thing that really caught my eye on your website. It was Team TFFT, and it looks like you got some adventures going on. So maybe you can speak a little bit to um, globally what you're doing for fundraising, and I'd love to hear a little more about Team TFFT.
1: Yeah. So, like I said, when I was there the first time, I was like, people have got to see this. People have got to understand, you know, what I'm seeing. And it's it's one thing to show a video or pictures, and, and they're great at storytelling. But to see things firsthand is a whole nother level. And so trying to create opportunities and environments where people can come to Tanzania to see with their own eyes and meet and create these relationships i think is the the best possible way but i'm also conscious of the fact that we're working with vulnerable populations so bringing people in and out of their lives in short periods is is not always the best move so we've we've created different things and opportunities for people to come and and provide true value. Um, So it's not just like a one-way value add. One of those things that we do is Team TFFT, where we have service and sport combined together. And it's actually interesting because I was looking at all the podcasts that you've Mm -hmm. done, and one of your people, Ray, Mm -hmm. who did Running the Sahara, one of his, one of the other guys who ran across the Sahara Desert with him, um, is a friend of mine, and I was like, "Geez, Charlie Engel," okay. and I was like, "Maybe people would run across Tanzania with me." I've always been a a runner oh. myself, and um, and then I was like, "No, there's not that many crazy
0: people like that." <laughs> oh, you'd be surprised. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and so I was like, "Okay, well, what if we biked?" And so anyway, from seeing running the Sahara, I actually got the idea to create an experience where people bike from Kilimanjaro to the Indian ocean. It's a 400 mile bike ride that we do. And it's insane. It's, it's seeing the country in an incredible unscripted manner, but you also like weaved throughout it all is bits of who we are as an organization. You meet beneficiaries. You see the reality that exists there and truly the why of what we do. So you see government schools, you see private schools we work with, you meet teachers and students that are benefiting from our program, and you get this insane experience biking across the country. So that was the start and the impetus of Team TFFT. It's it's since grown over the last decade to have domestic running teams for the most part. And People use sport to advocate for our work and raise funds. And it's been pretty cool to see. We've had people do everything from like Leadville 100, New York Marathon, Chicago, those sort of domestic Mm -hmm. events. And then we do Kilimanjaro Marathon and Kilimanjaro Half, the Ride TZ, our our bike race as well. Not a race, let's be very clear. It is a (laughs) ride. ride.
0: Not a rate. Well, so part of the work I've done, the advocacy work I've done on behalf of my niece and the community that she's a part of, she has a rare disease called Sturge-Weber syndrome, and I've done a lot of advocacy work for that community and done a lot of fundraising to raise money, is using sports, and you can see I'm American. You're obviously saying sport, singular, the way the British do, the way, you know, (laughs) But I've used um, running and biking to help raise money and to um, do my advocacy work, and a lot of that was inspired by running the Sahara. So I saw that probably, I don't know, about 10 years ago, and I was blown away by what those three gentlemen did, running across the desert, doing it. Obviously, it was a challenge, but then they did it to raise awareness for the water crisis in Africa. And um, it's really cool to hear that we were both inspired by that, that athletic adventure and that documentary. And, um, you know, you're talking about looking for people to join you on some crazy adventures. You can count me in. I would love to support your organization, run, bike, hike, climb, count me in. Cause I think it's just a great I way to raise awareness and a great way to just sh- share the message of the good work you're doing.
1: Well, and I think there's something kind of fabulous about hurting a little bit,
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> um, my mom says I'm a bit of a masochist, but <laughs> I, I disagree. I, but I genuinely believe when you put your physical body to the test in doing whatever it is, you know, for someone, it might be just a 5k, you know, for me, maybe it's like 26 mm-hmm. miles, but when you put your body through something that's hard, it gets you thinking. And and especially when you're running or biking for hours at a time, you have to think about something, and when you can think about something or somebody that's not yourself, and you have a true like reason behind it, it just makes it so much more powerful and pushes you through that that mental block that can get there for some people. I just I have never understood people who can just run marathons just to run mm-hmm. marathons. I, I I get them when they do it for charity, the ultra and the. And the regular marathon running though, without a deeper cause, those, those people baffle me,
0: (laughs) but good on good on them. Knowing that you have something bigger than yourself, that you're dedicating that experience to, it gives you that motivation, the inspiration, the increased determination you need to succeed. So I can't agree with you more. And like I said, I'd love to join you. I mean, it just sounds like a great way to share the message of the work you're doing.
1: It is pretty cool. We're yeah, we're doing. Um, I think our next ride TZ, which is the the cool 400 mile bike ride, summer 2022. So it's like always around end of June mm-hmm. timeframe. But yeah, I will be
0: sure to. Email yeah, you. and for our audience listening, I'm sure there's a lot of people that would love and to come and join and support. How can our listeners find out about these cool events? How can they support your organization? And um, I'm sure, you know, whether it's through a financial donation or a bike ride, climb or run, how can um how can they support?
1: Yeah, for sure. So teamtfft.org has all the crazy adventures and opportunities for sport and service. And then the foundation for is our website that gives you all the different opportunities to join TFFT. And I have plenty of friends who do not care for any element of sweating mm-hmm. and sport. And so there there are other ways to get involved and even other ways to come over to Tanzania with us. We, you know, pre-COVID, we, we did an annual vision trip uh, that typically happened in September where uh, groups of people came over and it was for a 10 day period and we expose them to all the work, but then we kind of put them to work utilizing their professional skills to aid our students and our teachers.
0: Oh, that's very cool. I mean obviously there's no way, no better way to get exposed to the work than to be on the ground observing or volunteering to help. But to kind of just give our listeners a deeper understanding of what the work looks like. Can you kind of maybe describe like a typical program or maybe a day in the life?
1: Yeah, for sure. So I'll break it down a little in the sense that we talk about education and that's kind of a loaded word, but we invest in teachers and we invest in students. So we began, as I said, with the triplets. So our initial focus area was just on providing access to quality education for orphan children and that has really grown to we we use the term vulnerable children now because not all all not all orphans are vulnerable and not all vulnerable children are orphaned Mm -hmm. so we provide educational scholarships but we look at it from a whole child perspective so we're providing psychosocial support livelihood support to their guardians and or family that might still be alive, as well as life skills programs, which they come into our program, the children, as early as five, and they're supported for a primary school, secondary school, and then two years post-secondary. So that could be two vocational training years. It could be two college years, two A levels, which is advanced levels. But it's really a holistic approach to finding out digging in deep to like who they are as individuals and honing in on their skills and their passions mm-hmm. and so that's where we say you know we have a very individualized and deep focus but then beyond supporting vulnerable children we also invest in teachers because we see them as being the front li- the front line of defense so teachers for us unless they're engaged incentivized really kind of applauded for in some cases they're not going to do what we need to do to deliver quality education right. so we've we really spent a lot of time on them and school management teams to figure out how do we how do we get them excited how do we create more child centered participatory learning environments how do we work? And and this is where our work kind of goes wide. We work with the Ministry of Education and we work in government schools with our teachers. Mm-hmm. And we do in-service teachers training, which just means they're already trained teachers. They've gone through Teachers College in Tanzania. And this is essentially professional development that we do during their holiday times or during Breaks and weekends could be like a two day seminar, it could be a week long seminar, it could be a whole semester full of training over the course of a number of months. But we feel like if we invest in them trying to improve what happens in the classroom, the overall student
0: outcomes will improve. That's so important. And I love not only are you investing in them, the teachers and supporting their work and their development but you're you're really focused on helping them on the ground level as a uh, maybe i'm not saying this right but it seems as though you figured out early on that you can't just take american ideas and american methods and force them upon a community or in this case on the learning education system in tanzania you're taking what they're doing and you're helping them do it better is that, is that the, is that the approach?
1: That is very accurate. So we, we want to make sure that they see people that look like them with the same kind of resources as them doing really excellent work in the classroom. And then that gives them the inspiration that they too can do it. So, I mean, in, in the middle of lockdown, you know, we had teachers, still coming to our trainings, but over Zoom. And they would come together on one smartphone and participate. So we we saw excitement and we saw interest in engaging and enhancing their skills. And it, it's pretty cool to see. We do this one program in partnership with different districts, d- the district ministry of education offices, where we provide a most outstanding teacher's mm-hmm. award. And the whole purpose of that is to then showcase who they are and what they're doing in their classroom with other teachers around the district. So there's, there's excitement, but there's also, it's, we're not just, you know, celebrating the child. We're, we're celebrating the role that the teacher plays in the child's life and in their improved Learning outcomes.
0: That's really great because, you know, I, like I said, I I did a lot of research in your organization and I was really excited for you to share the message. And it is about changing the trajectory of a child's life, but you're also doing that for the teachers and probably other people in the school system that maybe are ancillary, I'm sure for the parents as well. So, as your focus is the child, you're also benefiting their families, their teachers, their educators, and probably it's far-reaching within their communities as well.
1: I mean, that would be our hope. (laughs) Um, Yeah, we have these awesome teams. Our, Our teachers training team is wonderful, and they're both Tanzanian individuals that have been educators themselves, but then are now training teachers Helping the teachers know what kind of resources are at their disposal, how they can use materials that they can find in their communities as resources for the classroom. We have a newsletter that goes out twice a year. That's actually a it's a physical newsletter, but then we also have a digital copy, and it's it's called Tufundishani, which is essentially a Swahili translation is through others we learn, and it is. Tanzanian teachers writing articles for other teachers Hmm. and that's them sharing their knowledge and celebrating their knowledge really so it's um it's been cool to see the evolution of it of our work with teachers because at first it was just like okay well we recognize that we couldn't just put a child in school and expect You know, overall improvement. We knew that we needed to improve the quality of education, didn't exactly know how we were going to do it right off the bat. And this has been, you know, over a decade of iterations to get to where we are now.
0: I think that's a really important message to share with our community as well. Oftentimes you see a successful Nonprofit or NGO, and you think they hit the ground running on day one, and everything <laughs> is perfect. All the I's are dotted, the t's are crossed, and everything's just humming right from the get go. But that's not the case. It takes a lot of hard work, and it sounds it sounds like for for your organization, a lot of um, ad- ad- adaptations over time. Is that was that the case?
1: A hundred percent. I mean, it's I've I've only learned what I've learned by the people that I've surrounded myself with. And I always say my greatest success is finding and um, helping develop the team that I have wrapped around me and our team on the ground in Tanzania and our team here in the U S are fabulous, passionate individuals that share this vision of a world where there isn't vulnerability and where education is playing a role in, in mitigating some of those problems.
0: Now, the Foundation for Tomorrow, the name. Where did you come up with that? And what is I mean, I have my own ideas of what that's to what it implies or what it means, but I'm curious, was that is that something you thought up and what is the significance behind it for you?
1: Yeah, so as a child, philanthropy was always giving back. I, I don't think my parents ever
0: used the term
1: philanthropy. But giving back and um, was was very huge in our family. My father impressed upon us that too much is given, much is expected, and but all of our service was directed around education. And both my parents believed, and still to this day believe, it's a tool that you're giving to somebody. It's it's not necessarily charity. You're not handing somebody something, you're you're giving them something they can choose to take and utilize themselves. And it maintains dignity as well. And so I had the upbringing of like believing in its power.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I guess the, the actual name, the foundation for tomorrow was in reference to you're, you're creating a foundation on which you can build from and make your life better.
0: Mm, that's great. I love it. You know, I often talk to my guests about how their work benefits them, what it does for them, how it makes them feel. And I and I and I do want to explore that a little bit with you. But you really just hit a great point that I don't know that I've ever th- thought about. It's it's not charity, uh, although we use that term, we really use that term all the time, because the, the people we're doing the work for, they don't need to accept it. And it's ultimately, it's a decision they have to make of what they want to do with it, what they want to do in this case with the education they're being provided. Um, you view it as sharing an opportunity. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think what's been beautiful to watch and because because of the way the foundation for tomorrow is set up you know we are with children for 13 years of their life and so you get that beautiful witnessing of of seeing them develop their own personalities and and their passions and their interests and and also you see the adolescents and the rearing their head and the the ugly as well and mm-hmm. i'm a parent and i have a young baby but then also teenagers and it's it's beautiful to see you can be separated by plenty of opportunity and separated by oceans and continents but a child is a child as a child mm-hmm. and it is it's awesome to see like even just the silly you know like just because we're, we've got beneficiaries and we're serving a certain population, like they, they have, you know, they push back. They, you know, our kids in our scholarship program, like we teach them to have a voice and use their voice, you know, like we're not saying just take this. We're asking your opinion and we want your engagement. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily happen in elementary school, but no matter where you are, it happens in middle school. <laughs> We've <laughs> yeah, seen sure. it and and I've seen it. And, and it's, you know, I had one country director who she is since moved to the Philippines and her and I have became very close and worked together for, you know, almost a decade. And she said to me once, she's like, you know, some of our kids will say no, some of them will not want what we're providing and we have to be okay with that.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And I I looked at her and I was kind of like, Oh, okay. You're right. I think so much as like a Westerner and as an American, you're like, well, surely everybody wants like, you know, a scholarship, you know, but we've actually, I, I have a very successful young lady who was in our program and she left with one year to go and I was genuinely upset with her mm. and I mean Nancy if she listens to this <laughs> I her and I are very close now but she was like there's someone else who wants it and needs it more than I do I it is not what I want right now and we had to say or you know okay mm-hmm. I, we disagree but if that's what you're saying. Okay. And, you know, she has since come back to us from a like wanting like mentorship and that sort of stuff, but mm-hmm. she is thriving on her own and she has done it. And we, you know, we, we had to listen to the people we serve and, and we still do to this day, but she taught us, I think she was the one that really taught us to do that to stop and to just be like, okay, I hear you.
0: We learn through our work, right? Yeah. It's such a learning experience doing doing nonprofit work and sharing with others. We often end up learning just as much or sometimes more than <laughs> the people were, we're there doing the work for. And that, and that kind of takes me, you know, we talk about these rewards. It sounds like, and it's something that's important to me to share with our community because a question that I often get is why would I do this kind of work and why do you keep doing this kind of work and what's what's motivating people and I think it's it's something that I kind of caught me by surprise is how rewarding it can be and it sounds like for you seeing the the growth of these children and seeing their accomplishments and completing the program is probably extremely rewarding. But also knowing that um, you're helping raise these intelligent and confident young adults who are able to make the decisions that are best suited for their lives, I, I would imagine that's that puts a smile on your face at the end of the day.
1: Oh, a hundred percent. I, um, you know, from from both sides, like we, y- you fundraise, you understand it, but. People are like, oh, don't you? Doesn't that like really pain you? And I'm like, actually, no, because in my role, I see humanity at its finest. I I see people's heart and their motivation behind their financial gifts, mm-hmm. which which is a light in in what is going on in the world right now. When you see that, so I have the beauty and and the opportunity there, but then. With regards to the people we serve, yeah, seeing them grow into themselves and be contributing members of society is the most incredible gift that I could be given. And and to know that, you know, our alumni are creating a TFFT family of of their own Mm -hmm. with each other and leaning on each other and, and finding strength in each other that's really powerful. I mean, we've we've trained over 2,000 teachers as an organization. Our teachers training program has impacted over 160,000 kids. We've had 35 alumni now that are, you know, quote-unquote in our alumni program benefiting each other, helping each other. And then we have 111 active scholars. Wow. So if you think about the ripple effect of what those individuals that have been touched by our programming how their lives have changed and and the lives that they'll change as a as a response to having more exposure more knowledge more resources it's it's pretty
0: fabulous when you look at work you've done is there something that stands out to you the most something you're most proud of or an accomplishment the organization has that you kind of just say this is our this is like our banner moment
1: i mean i think all the kids have really unique stories like i can tell a story of one of our scholars who's now in high school and when i met him he was at an orphanage and he had rickets from a vitamin d deficiency and his legs were bent and he just all he could do was scoot across the floor. And I think about all the time, actually, I think about that's just, it was just a vitamin deficiency. Like if if someone had not come into his life and changed the course of it, like Mandu is like, he looks like a rugby player. Now he is (laughs) strong. He is like independent. He articulates himself and his wants and, to think about like the path he could have taken if no one kind of came in and, and cared to ask a few questions. And I mean, it, it's in the grand scheme of things, it, it's minor what we do to then enable them to have all these opportunities. It's, I mean, from a financial standpoint, it's $2,000 a year for their scholarship. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, just thinking about how a number like that can change the trajectory of someone's life is pretty amazing. But then, you know, I'd say we're also at this kind of crossroads right now where we are finally like, so we've always acted as consultants that go into other people's institutions to improve the quality of schools. Mm -hmm. We've never had, you know, a brick and mortar facility ourselves and we don't intend to have a school or run schools, but we are kind of taking this bold step to build a community enriching center. And we talk about it as where quality education meets the learner where they are. Mm. So this new learning center is really going to be a space to design and create improved solutions with the beneficiaries and the stakeholders participating. Mm -hmm. So it'll provide a home for our our current programs but it'll also allow us to have a wider outreach to the community and implement new programs and I'm I'm super stoked about that because I think for us that'll be a, a physical structure that will be a part of our legacy and and really encompass who we are what we value and and what we what we mean
0: so I was going to ask you about the future of the organization. And is that, it sounds like in in the next, is this going to be in the next few years, this is the focus of where you want the organization to go?
1: Yes. So it, everything will be housed out of here, okay. but it will, you know, it will house a teacher's training facility, a computer training facility, a library, a literacy lab a higher education guidance counselor and scholarship center and a NGO and social entrepreneur incubator. Wow. So it'll be essentially like what we've tested over the years, but under one roof. And I think, you know, if our assumptions are correct, it will be able to reach a larger percentage of the population and do it in a sustainable manner that we can bring to other locations throughout the region.
0: When are you hoping to have that up and running? It sounds it sounds amazing. Uh
1: well I am still writing grants and fundraising to finish that off, but I believe, well, I know we're going to start construction in 2021. So
0: oh, exciting.
1: I would like to see it operational in the beginning of 2023.
0: So our listeners know, is there any information on that on the center on your website? And is there any way they could specifically support the construction of that center?
1: Yes, absolutely. So on our website, the org, there is a what we do button, and it, it's under the investing in community. And it talks about the community learning center. And you can contribute specifically towards that. And you can also reach out to us. Everybody in our organization is First name at the foundation for So I'm Megan, M E G H A N N, at the foundation for But you could reach out to any of us and we can share more about it. There's a couple videos that talk about what we hope to create with it. But yeah, our when we talk about success for us and what that looks like and, and who we serve, we're talking about raising these. These individuals so that they're contributing to society and and that really means something different for each individual, but it comes down to employability. And we do there's there was a estimate that came out this year that said that that Tanzania produces between six hundred and eight hundred thousand graduates every year, but there's only fifty thousand job vacancies. So oh my. The incubator part of this learning center is really exciting to me because I think there's a a lot of wonderful African solutions for African problems. And I would like this center to uncover some of that.
0: I love it. African solutions for African problems. And you are the organization that's helping to further their mission, further their work and support them, not, not. Mandating or dictating American solutions, because our solutions aren't always that great, but you're helping them with their solutions for the problems they have and the ideas that they can, um, I guess their their ideas and their know-how and their insight and their intellect, and you're supporting that. You know, you had sent me an email. Now I'm going to forget the term, but when we were coordinating and communicating early on, you had said there was this African term. And it really resonated with me, and now for the life of me, the term slips <inaudible> in my Thank you. Yeah, can you talk a little bit about that?
1: Yeah, for sure. It's I am who I am because we are, and it is for us, like kind of something we've spent a lot of time talking about this year specifically. It's it's an African philosophy, but it's as an organization. We look at it from the standpoint of, of the individuals and what they teach us, the teachers and what they teach us. But then it, we also use it to celebrate the power of community, both here, the community we've built that funds and supports what we're doing there, but but also common humanity and, and the tie between it all and listening to our students kind of helped reinforce the idea to focus on this and share for those who don't know about Ubuntu, to share Ubuntu. But it's, yeah, we're embracing it and and continue to embrace it.
0: You surely are. I love the work you guys are doing. I think it's so inspirational. Um, Just to conclude here, do you have a parting message that you'd like to share with our community?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I'd say like, if if this ignites something in you, shoot me an email. Reach out to us. But if it's not this, listen to some more of Difference Maker podcasts and try to find something that gets under your skin, and then just keep following down that path and and uncovering different things. Because for me, it was the disparity in what what we had in the U.S. and what. Exists in East Africa and, and how geography dictated how far an individual goes in their life and the quality of education they, they receive. But I, I recognize that's not it for everybody. But I just, there's, there's such beauty in, in finding something that wakes you up in the morning. And I, and I wish that and hope that everybody finds that and has that and pursues it because a life serving others is a life well lived.
0: Well said. This is Difference Makers, and you, Megan, are a real Difference Maker. Thank you so much for sharing your story with our community, and thank you for making a difference through your inspiring work.
1: Thanks, Al. I appreciate the time.
0: On behalf of Difference Makers Global Community, I want to thank you for listening. And if you'd like to learn more about today's guest, visit differencemakers.org. There you'll find a dedicated page for each of our difference makers and a link to their charity's website, where you can learn more about their inspiring work and support the mission. And for our readers out there, I have two books that I wrote that I'd love for you to check out, Crossing America for a Cure and Running the Coast for a Cure. These books chronicle charity adventures I did in honor of my niece, Jenna, who was born with a rare neurological disorder called Sturge-Weber syndrome. Both books can be purchased on Amazon.com and all profits from book sales are donated to Sturge Weber Research. Thanks again for listening. And remember, in each of us is the power to make a difference.